Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Hello and welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. My name is Rob Bartlett, and this episode I am happy to be joined by Nicholas Crump, who is speaking with me all the way from Managua, Nicaragua today. Nicholas is an expert in changing safety cultures, something that is vital to the development of a world-class process safety system, and I'm hoping that that's why you are listening to the podcast, is to develop those. Nicholas got his bachelor's degree in molecular biology and spent time teaching in Washington, D.C., as well as directing Teach for America. Uh, later, he changed his focus to organizational development for his master's degree from Pepperdine University. Since then, he's been an ind independent consultant uh, who partners with a company called Culture Change Consultants, and their focus is, as the name says, culture change. So happy to have him on the podcast so we can delve into those details uh, and try to uh, get some guidance on how we can improve our process safety systems uh, by improving our process safety cultures. A fun fact about Nicholas is that he is in year four of what he tells me was supposed to be a one-year travel adventure with his family. Uh, and as I indicated earlier, he's currently living in Central America. Maybe you can start with a short story of how that happened. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me. So my wife, who's also a teacher, uh, we actually happen to meet through the Teach for America program, we have three young boys, and we had always said we'd really like to give them the gift of being bilingual. And because of my flexible travel schedule and during their school summer vacations, we spent a lot of time traveling to Spanish-speaking countries. And we were looking for that, hey, where would be that opportunity for us to give them that immersion experience? And a few years back, we had, were exploring Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And when we landed in Nicaragua, we said, oh, this looks like the place. Uh, we could really decamp for a year, give these boys uh, an adventure in terms of immersion experiences. And we landed in the, the town of Granada, Nicaragua, which is a colonial city completely different from where we've been living in Phoenix, Arizona. And I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, you know, if it didn't work out, you know, we could easily, easily go back to our lives in sure. Phoenix. And it was, uh, it was that experience of one thing led to the, the other. It was working. We liked it. It was adventurous. And then we were actually on our way back this spring and COVID hit. And we said, yeah, <laughs> this is, we probably don't want to make any big moves right now. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Sure. Uh, and we're still in that waiting phase at, 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 as I speak now. So, um, so the plan right now, so, I mean, COVID obviously got in the way of a whole heck of a lot of stuff. And, but it, the plan is once things settle down, you'll be coming back to the States. Again, to be determined. And it's one of those where Nicaragua is close enough for me to get back to the States if the yeah. clients that I'm working with are in the States. The new hybrid workspace in terms of being virtual allows me to do some of the things that I used to do in person now through through Zoom and through Teams, which I hadn't hadn't expected. And you know, life here is pretty darn good. So, yeah. uh, you know, we, we're now That's... waiting at that challenge. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see where you, where that where that lines out. But uh, that's that's quite the story. And I, I I really 
I, I just I laughed when you we said when you told me originally told me yeah we're in year four of a one year one year adventure I love that so anyway so let's 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 turn back to today's topic which is uh, which is using your expertise in cultural change and culture change and cultural issues to improve uh, process safety culture in chemical plants primarily although really it would be any place uh, where we where we're dealing with process safety issues so. You know, you were a teacher and, you know, doing teaching things, you know, what got you interested in, in culture change to kind of pursue that as a, you know, as a career, as a consultant? It wasn't a realization until I was 30 years old that this was really my passion to understand organizational cultures. But there are a few things that led me in that direction. As I look back, I connect the dots. And that is, I mean, being a ninth grade teacher responsible for 150 students every single day. I recognized that the difference in my classes wasn't always the content that I delivered, but it was the culture that I could create with the students, you know, were they supportive of one another, were their parents invested in our goals for the year. And that's really where I got the chance to do that on top of some, some other coaching opportunities. When I was working in Washington, DC, I was a a soccer coach as well. And I started to see what it was, what was it that made my teams effective, whether it was the drills that we did or was it the the commitment they had to each other and there's this sort of this unspoken personal commitment and and team commitment that really sets team cultures and classroom cultures apart and I really didn't have language to explain it I spent some time being a scientist for about nine months and I realized I like to talk to people so um, <laughs> so being a scientist is probably not the best approach then huh not the best no choice. I I, I, I realized I was like, well, am I going to use this degree that I I I, I got in, in in studying molecular biology? And I realized that my time working at a bench was I was missing something. So then I got the opportunity to work with Teach for America in Phoenix, Arizona, and again, it was around how do you build an organization where the culture is helping to positively impact the results? And after building out the systems that made the teachers effective, I spent some time learning and studying organizational cultures. And I said, gosh, you know, I really am fascinated by this. I didn't even know it was a field of study when I was an undergraduate. And I happened to be talking to my aunt one day and she, she was saying, well, you know, what do you think you're going to do? You know, what's next? And I said, well, I'm really interested in this idea of organizational cultures and how that impacts leadership and frontline employees. And she said, well, you know, that's what I do. I said, well, <laughs> you know, here's here, here. This person has been in my life for forever years. And yeah. <laughs> I, I said, I, well, I thought you just did safety. Right. And she said, well, yeah, I do safety culture. She said, I'm not a technical safety expert, but I'm an expert in organizational dynamics, group dynamics, decision making. If that's what you're interested in, you should really talk to the consulting group that I work with, Culture Change Consultants. And that was really, that was my introduction to it. And there was no strategy or plan to arrive at this career. It was just what was in front of me at the time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because it, it just, it makes me think of what Steve Jobs said in, I think it was his um, graduation speech at Stanford, you know, back in the two thousands, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards and, you know, listening to you, talk about it it's very clear that you know each step got you one step closer to a place that you didn't know you were going but that obviously is is the the, the right place for you you know I, I think we see that all all over the place so 
so uh so you thanks to thanks to your aunt you're in the industry you're in the in an area that you've got some passion about so that's fantastic so let's let's talk about industries and and safety cultures and such so you know you, you've been doing this for a while now and i guess that my first question related to this is in your years working with various industries so you know we're heavy obviously in the chemical industry but you know you work with all sorts of different industries what are the challenges that you see companies and facilities have just over and over and over again are there any are there any common pitfalls that you see companies have fallen into you know in your experience yeah and for me what i I really appreciate about the work that I get to do is that I get to work with the frontline employee, the supervisor, the middle manager, all the way up to to the executive level. Mm -hmm. And I get to hear their experience within the workplace. So the challenge that I see is that frontline employees are often not given the voice to say, hey, look, this is my everyday challenge and I need support from supervisors and I need support from management to help solve that. Uh, I'm dealing with it on a daily basis. So a couple of ways that that shows up in terms of what I see in industry is that mm. oftentimes the safety data that management is dealing with is not good data. It's, okay. it's dependent on whether or not people feel like they can speak up and if they have a reporting culture. And mm. one of the ways that I, at least in the past 10 years, is that the challenge of allowing employees to report theirs near misses. And one of the ways that I check in on a safety culture is I ask supervision and salaried management, when's the last time you had a salaried or su- salaried person or someone in management report a near miss on their themselves? And usually it's crickets. Nobody has it. We, we haven't yeah, had I'm that. Like, I'm, I'm like thinking back to, you know, to my experience and, and near misses usually come from from the operators or, or maintenance folks, the, the hourly folks, maybe the supervisors. But, certain, mm-hmm. but rarely, rarely people outside of that. Yeah. So the, the question is, so are those leaders creating the, the culture where it's okay to report that information, that that information is seen as useful as in a learning experience, or is it seen as an opportunity to blame? Right. And, you know, that's one of those challenges that I just don't think that industries in North America and Europe and, and Western Europe have, have gotten to that point where they see that as just valuable information. Well, you know, that the blame, you know, blame is one of those things that I've seen that myself getting not just in the way, but I mean, a culture of blame just stops a safety culture in its tracks because everything goes, everything goes underground, you know, Um, and, and near misses are, you know, are vital because that's how we, that's how we prevent those, you know, the, the actual incidents, the actual events from happening is by looking at what's almost happening and things that just by the grace of God or luck or whatever you want to say didn't happen. Um, so, okay. Yeah, so one time I assessed the safety culture, you know, just to, to, to give you an idea, one time I did a safety culture assessment and after spending some time gathering the quantitative data and the qualitative data, the best way for me to describe their safety culture was like they were having the steroid era of Major League Baseball. <laughs> they, okay. What does that, that mean? <laughs> meaning that their data was so flawed yeah, and, and everyone knew it, but no one was saying anything. Got and it. Wow. it took this safety culture assessment to really, you know, open the door to say, look, we all know that this isn't really what's happening. And until you take this incentive away, which you are giving to everyone yeah. for these particular safety results, we can't move this forward. Right. 
And it was this big relief that finally somebody said, hey, wait a minute, these these safety results are juiced. So so when they stopped juicing the results, did things get better? Well, better is relative, right? Because sure. the, they actually what they got was their real safety culture. And so the so the, so the apparent so the so the so. Instead of having a hundred home runs a year, like like during the juiced the steroid year or whatever it was, yeah, was it Barry Bonds had what seventy seven whatever, something um, like that. So instead of that, now we're back. Now we're back to hitting forty five to fifty homers a year. So in a safety term, so now we've got a higher injury rate or we've got a higher near miss rate or whatever. So one, but so once that happened, did the actual safety of the facility improve? Yeah. So. It took us probably 12 months to get an accurate, accurate picture of what safety was like. Sure. You know? And and that was creating a culture where it was okay to report. Incidents were happening. They just weren't getting reported right. in this culture. And and the company was getting awards from the, <laughs> oh, the, the location was getting awards from the the corporate office, like fantastic. Oh, you're the model. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. Um, yep. So they were, I can imagine emotionally, they were probably in some kind of crisis, like, wait a minute, we're we all know We're this not? is kind of fake. This yeah. is being fraud. So right. we broke that open. And then it allowed management to actually solve for the safety issues that were coming to their attention. Right. And it gave employees the trust to say, hey, look, we need help over here. Mm-hmm. So it opened up all this communication. And the not only did they get a, an accurate picture of safety and start improving, mm-hmm. but they countered the assumption that they could actually be profitable and work safely. So not only over the course of that three to four year implementation did they improve safety, but their quality score improved and their overall asset utilization improved. And they actually were able to run the facility without a salaried person in the facility. They had so much trust in hourly employees. Wow. That's quite a turnaround then. That's quite a turnaround. Yeah, Yeah, that would be a huge, a huge challenge. You know, you can't solve a problem you don't know you have. Right. Mm-hmm. So having that data definitely is is um, is is key. So, you know, I'm an engineer. And so there's a certain mindset that I bring to, you know, bring to problems, kind of a, a process to go through, you know, to solve problems. So do you have a process that you kind of bring, you know, you've got your toolkit. Do you have a process that you bring clients through? Obviously, there's going to be some, uh, uh, you know, there's differences depending on where a client might be, where a facility is. But do you have a process that you can kind of maybe at a high level, you know, bring us through to give a feel for the sort of things that you do? Definitely. So, I mean, I'm a, I started as a hard scientist and, yep. you know, I am always interested in the data. And, okay. and then I you know, moved on to focusing on the, the soft, the social sciences. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm asked to come into a facility, uh, I want to know what's the data tell me? as it relates to your safety culture. Okay. Similar to if, if, I, if I'm going to go to the doctor, you know, I want the doctor to have run some labs, you know, to mm-hmm. say, hey, look, this is what we're seeing. This is what's going on. So without that data, we don't have any directions. This, this is where the opportunity is to change your safety culture. Because when we talk about culture, it's such a big word. It, it encompasses mm-hmm. everything. We exist in it all the time. Yeah. One of the paradoxes in terms of improving safety cultures is the smaller the target, oftentimes the bigger the impact, mm-hmm. um, similar to improving somebody's health, right? The smaller yeah. the target, the bigger the impact is to improving their health. So having an assessment is is important. But even I would say before having the assessment, 
I need to have a internal group of leaders, some safety culture champions who understand what it means to move a company or a site forward with its safety culture. So who's going to do the work internally as I am educating them as their consultant, right? So right. I've got to have that core group. If so I don't you, have that you, core group, right. then I mean, I'm not there every day. The likelihood of success for somebody to carry it on just isn't there. Right. So, so I would say having that core group, then doing the assessment and then presenting the results. And when we present those results, that's the opportunity to say, yeah, that's our culture. Yep. You got it right. And then I ask the question, are you willing to do something about it? <laughs> do people say no? Sometimes it happens. You know, really? most folks, if they've made that investment, they've asked me to come in to talk to them about safety culture. We've engaged leaders. We've said, hey, look, let's do the, do the assessment. There have been a few times where they said, yeah, that just looks too challenging. And thank you. Thank you for your time. Okay. And the, the, the real trouble there is they've made the promise to employees that there's some hope. Yeah. Because right. they're asking me, hey, Nicholas, why am I sitting down with you talking about safety culture? What's the vision of the company? And I'm saying, hey, look, the company wants to be proactive about safety. And culture is a way for us to be predictive of what might happen. So if we can get ahead of your safety culture and it can be positive and, and you can remove it before something happens, then fewer people can get hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and employees are like, yeah, I'm on board with that. You know? So now so now you've set now now they've had the expectation set. And when the company says, ah, yeah, that's too big of a nut. We're not going to try to, we're not going to try to crack that one. Um, they actually end up worse than before, right? Because <laughs> now they've set, now they set this expectation and now they've taken it, you know, taken it away. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you go in, you need data, you're going to do an assessment. Then what are you going to do? Because then I'm going to present the results. And like I said, say, hey, look, does anybody want to do something about it? And if there's okay, a commitment so- to do something about it, so we say, then, yeah, we're good. We, we knew we had, we thought we had a problem. We knew we had a problem. Now we see it in the numbers. There's definitely a problem. Hey, Nicholas, what are you going to do to help us here? Yeah. So I say to them, all right, let's prioritize the issues. We can't do them all at once. Okay. So yeah. what are the issues that are most important to you? And then okay. I say, not the issues that are most important to the president of the division and not the issue that's most important to the plant manager, mm-hmm. but what's the issue that's most important to all of you, right? Include, so it's not including including the hourly folks, including the salary folks, everyone, right? Exactly. So one of the ways we build trust is to say, all right, let's look at this data, but it's going to be looked at for the first time by 50 people, 25 hourly and 25 salaried. And they say, oh, we've never done that before. And I say, <laughs> okay, um, well, if we really want to do something about this, this is probably a pretty good first step. And when that when that list of prioritized items comes out. And 50 people have ranked it and it's not Nicholas's recommendation to what's most important. And it's not the plant manager or the president's recommendation to what's most important. It's the peer group's recommendation to what's most important. It's a, then it's a we have, team. Yeah. yeah, then we have, then there's no reason we, we cut through some of that resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, I mean, I've, I mean, I've been in, in plenty of culture change initiatives where, you know, this is, this is come from corporate or this has come from the plant manager, this has come from headquarters or whatever. And there's very much a lack of buy-in, you know, this is just, we're being told to do this. And so therefore, okay, so you've got people's buy-in and then you, what you, you, you prioritize your list and now you start to, now you start to address them. Yeah. And, and the key there is who addresses the issues. 
There are certain issues that only exist in management's safety culture. And there are other issues that exist only in the union hourly safety culture. Mm -hmm. So by creating some self-directed teams to say, hey, we want you to go work on safety culture. You pick the issue that you want to work on. Work with us in terms of the resources needed to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But we want you to address the issues that are impacting your peer group Mm -hmm. because you're the one that has the most influence over that culture. Yeah. Because cultures are the informal networks. They're not the system in place. And, you know, if if the issue is that my supervisor is willing to listen and act on my safety concerns, if I'm an hourly employee, I'm a very little influence on whether or not that group of supervisors actually practices that. But if I'm a management group and I'm talking with other supervisors, then maybe we can move the needle when it comes to supervisors willing to listen and act on my safety concerns. Well, and the other way around. I mean, and that same thing goes for for hourly folks as well. I mean, it's very yeah. it's very hard. You know, I've I've been there. It's very hard as a as a manager. You can try to walk the walk, um, but but unless those unless those folks are fully on board and are are you know making their changes as well, it, you know, you can't you can't you can't bring them along forcefully. Certainly. Uh, so yeah. So I, I could see where where having having the people who are most involved with the issue, actually trying to solve it as a peer group has to be pretty powerful. Yeah. And those people who are closest to the work with the most to lose, they pick pretty powerful topics. Really? Interesting. And I'm always amazed by the, just the passion that they're willing to put into these projects. And mm-hmm. and, and most of them are volunteering. They're not told right. to be on teams. They're saying, hey, look, Interesting. Do, you, do you want to work on improving your safety culture at your site? And and it's not for everyone, but right. there are several people who rise to the occasion and say, "Yeah, this is this is something I'm really passionate about." And those teams being self-directed, it's one of those experiences where not a lot of employees who are at the hourly level get to work on those kinds of teams right. in their in their career. And right. when we turn them loose, and they're able to pick the topic, and they get to work with management in terms of approval and resources and I've seen a successful, the only successful employee mentoring program, not directed by HR, but it was directed by a group of hourly employees that said, hey, we do a really poor job of bringing our new employees on on board. Mm-hmm. And we want to take that on. We want to design the training. We want to administer some of that training. We want to meet with them to follow it up. Yeah. And this is a 10-year ongoing project by this group of hourly employees. Wow. And it's and it's making a difference? They feel like it is for sure. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So as I said before, you've told me, you know, you've worked with a lot of different industries and, and of course we're kind of focused on more like the chemical industry and, you know, related sorts of, of places where we've got highly hazardous chemicals, highly hazardous processes with opportunities for very, very large catastrophic events. And I'm kind of curious, is there anything particular about chemical plants that makes culture change more or less challenging than other facilities or is that you know they're all pretty i mean they're all very similar and you know it's people you know that that you got to deal with yeah i mean i would say that the difference there is the catastrophic risk is higher Um, Mm -hmm. i've worked in a few places like like that so that is on people's minds most of the time Mm -hmm. but there's not much difference from industry to industry because the common factor is the human and those psychological 
patterns that get created when we bring people together. Right? Is it safe to speak up? Is it not safe to speak up? Do I feel taken care of? Am I not taken care of by this company? Do they care about my livelihood or do they just care about the numbers that I produce? Right. And I would say typically when I have a conversation with a, a new client, it's, well, you know, we do this, whatever procedure it is, we, we make this, we, we deliver this, and, and, and they feel like it's, it's unique until we set up a benchmarking trip. And I said, well, you know, I'm the consultant. <laughs> what do I know? But yeah. why don't you go talk to somebody who has been doing this and, you know, pre-COVID times, why don't you do a site visit yeah. and, and talk with their teams and their frontline employees about what's working. And many times after those conversations, after that benchmarking trip, I, uh, I'll get a phone call and say, whoa, you know, we thought we were unique, but I didn't realize what it took to make, you know, glass bottles. I didn't realize what yeah. it took to deliver those, those medicines. Okay. So, okay. So there's not a lot of differences. I mean, people, as you said, I mean, people are people, right? And, and organizations, I mean, groups of people are organizations and, and they have similar issues. So, okay. We're kind of getting toward the end here and, and you and I could probably talk about this for, for a very long time, but there's one, I think one last question that I want to ask that is that, that, you know, maybe focus on something that may be a little actionable for people. So if I were a new supervisor or an engineer or, you know, someone not upper management, but, you know, kind of lower in the organization uh, or maybe even operator. And you talked about, you know, how, you know, operators taking leadership sorts of uh, sorts of roles. So if I were one of these sorts of people at, let's just say, a chemical facility for our instance here, but I go in, I'm new, and I go in, and I'm like, God, this safety culture is just not good. It's a bad safety culture. I don't have the ability to go and hire you, right? I can't, I can't get on the phone and say, hey, Nicholas, you know, come help us. I may be able to try to convince somebody of that. But in the meantime, I want to do something to try to push things in the right direction. So are there a few things that you might recommend that I do that might be able to, to at least improve things? Because, you know, every little thing that we can do to improve culture, improve our, our process safety systems, reduces the chance that we're going to have a catastrophic incident with death and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, are there a couple things, a few things that you might be able to recommend? Yeah, Rob, a couple things come to mind. And the first one is just to have that curious mindset as they walk in and, and ask themselves and even ask the people that are working with, hey, what are those informal rules that we teach each other about safety? that somebody's not going to get in new hire orientation about how we do things because there could be some positive items. Hey, around here, we really look out for one another. People's going to tell you to, to, to wear the right PPE or we stop the job for safety and we really do it. But there could also be some, some negative informal rules that exist in the, in the culture around shortcuts. So start to bring those to the surface by being curious. Uh, the, another question to, for that person to ask themselves is to say, Hey, where am I believable? When it comes to safety and when am i not believable when it comes to safety what do you mean by and, that well for instance i tell people to report near misses but i've never reported one myself i'm not believable when it comes to safety well it's, it the, the, that goes back to walking the walk right we've we yeah. always talk about you got to walk the walk especially with safety so asking yourself hey am i walking the walk related to safety and and ensuring the safety of not just myself but of my coworkers and of our systems and all that, that's big. 
Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of me interacting with my employees, I, I say that safety is the most important priority and it's, it's, it's a precondition to doing the work. But every time I interact with my crew, the first thing we talk <laughs> about is production numbers. And the next thing we talk right. about is some kind of quality score. And yeah. then eventually we get to safety. Well, that doesn't make me really believable right. when it comes to safety. Right. And the other aspect of that is, is to ask yourself, hey, am I asking for feedback from the people who work with me and interact with me as it relates to safety? So what, what, so what does that mean? What sorts of questions is that? So am I working safely or do you see me being a safety leader? What sorts of questions yeah, should so, I be asking so for, for instance, feedback? Um, if I'm a supervisor, right, mm-hmm. my working safely is, is, hey, am I showing up to the job site and do I have the proper PPE on? That's pretty easy for most folks to do. But are they asking for feedback on, hey, did my safety meeting deliver any value, right? Was that, was that useful to you? And if not, how am I getting better at running a safety meeting? And I think that's one of the, the, the missing aspects of, of manufacturing and chemical plants and the way work gets done is we're not leveraging the ability for our salaried folks to be strong leaders at using this safety meeting structure right. to, to educate, to dialogue, um, to get better. I mean, maybe they say, look, I'm just tired of the turkey sandwiches. Like, yeah. We have the turkey sandwich. And I, like, I can't eat another turkey sandwich at your safety meeting, Nicholas. <laughs> okay, that's good feedback. Let's try something else. What might you like? I mean, that's a first step in terms of yeah. improving eating. I was just, not to interrupt, but I was just thinking of, like, if I had, if I, for all the safety meetings that I ran and, you know, when I was in industry, I wonder how many times I would get any positive feedback. It, you know, it, it would most definitely be, you know, let's just say some sort of constructive criticism. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like it's such an unutilized value add to, to the work that we're doing on a daily basis. It's, oh, we it's, do it because we're supposed to do it. You're, you do yeah, it. Yeah, they got, told me I got to have a safety meeting. They, I'm, I'm resp- they told me I'm responsible for the safety meeting this month. So here we go. Yeah, they gave me the topic. I mean, yep. I, I gave the example of this actually today on a call. I said, if it's date night and I, sh- and I just show up and I say, hey, I'd say to my wife, you know, hey, it's, uh, remember it's date night. Where do you want to go? She's not very happy. No. <laughs> but if I say to her, not. hey, look, I, you know, it was date night and I took some time this week to do some, some research. Uh, you're really going to like this place. They, you know, we can dance. They've got the music that you like. And I check the menu. Yep. yep. You know, that's planning. That, that's a better, that's, that's a better, that's going to be a, a value date. added date night yes. than, it, than yep. me just saying, Hey, it's date night. Let's go. <laughs> or, okay, it's time for the safety meeting. Here's the PowerPoint they sent me. Let's get through it so that we can all get back to work. Right. Right. No okay. ownership. Tell me to do that. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that another shift, and this is a shift that happens, not just on the weekly safety meeting, but just daily, when you're interacting with employees, oftentimes I hear that the question is that's asked is, okay, does anybody have any safety concerns? And usually the response is, it's, it's not good. There's not much data coming back and forth. And people don't want to bring up the issue because it, for a whole host of reasons. But just by changing your question as a supervisor, you create an opportunity for dialogue. And that question becomes, hey, what are you noticing about safety? And you put the expectation on employees that, hey, I want that information, positive or negative. They could come back with, hey, I'm noticing that we're doing a really good job of following lockout tagout procedure on these routine tasks. Or they could come back with, hey, I'm noticing that we're taking a few shortcuts in this particular area. And, you know, those are deviations in the system, which potentially could lead to incident injury or accident. 
And, and most likely when somebody asks that question, employees have been so conditioned to not respond that they're not going to get a response when they say, hey, what are you noticing about safety? Come on, Nicholas, what are you talking about? And if you ask it again the next day and again the next day, you start to build a culture that, hey, this is, this is not just about me. This is about you and me and the team and the culture that we have together, which is going to keep us safe. As opposed to just asking people to report on the bad things. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think that that is probably a good place to uh, to stop. I think we've been we've been struggling with culture. We'll continue to struggle with culture as long as people are getting together in facilities, in plants, in uh, manufacturing organizations, in any sort of organization. These issues will keep coming up, and I think you've definitely um, brought some things up here that make me think about what could I have done when I was when I was in working in plants, what could I have done differently? And also, how can I now help clients who have safety issues, maybe help them to improve their uh, program? So thank you for your valuable insight. Uh, before we leave here, I do want to ask, so where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you or or, or whatever? Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. The, yeah. the best place for folks to connect with me is just ping me on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, you can message me directly and can go from there. Okay. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll have a uh, have a link to that in the show notes. And as for the audience, thank you for listening. We do appreciate the time. Please take a moment, if you would, to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. Uh, we do appreciate that and do use that to help other people find our podcast. If you know somebody who might uh, benefit by this information, please don't hesitate and and send it along. Um, this is a free resource for people to learn about process safety. And our goal here is just to make things safer. And if all you do is get one piece of information from these podcasts that makes your plant safer, prevent some sort of an accident or incident from happening, then we have fulfilled our purpose here. You can find the show notes and more at our website, www.amplifyconsultants.com forward slash podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. You can always reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn, or if you would like to send an old-fashioned email, you can do that at podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep your focus on process safety so we can all go home safely. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, AmplifyConsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.